I work with my family on the farm every day and the lumps and the bumps and the highs and the lows are so much better when you get to do it with your family making a real agricultural product that has a real resonance with customers. This is The Producers. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Great cheese takes time, takes patience, and takes a lot of care. For Nicole Gilliver at Grandview, it all starts with a great life for the sheep. Everything Nicole and her family do is founded on respect for their sheep, respect for the environment, and a love of exceptional cheese. I live 40, 45 minutes south of Hobart in an area of Tassie called The Channel, overlooking uh, Bruny Island and the Dontracasto Channel. Um, that's my 80-acre patch of dirt, my patch of paradise, aside from the fact that it's a beautiful block of dirt um, and close enough to the capital city to have people come and visit and experience our um, our cheese and our farm. Um, you know, it um, it grows and, and nurtures some pretty interesting ideas and, and some pretty interesting animals that provide us with an interesting income in a very interesting and beautiful part of the world. Grandview is a small family business in every sense. Nicole, her mother and brother combining their strengths and love for the road less travelled has resulted in an endeavour to take cheesemaking in a new direction down under. Well, the idea essentially was was born from my mother's brain, which is fairly left of centre. And essentially, um, the business comprises of the three of us, which is my mother and my brother and myself in equal partnership. And we're all sort of blessed or burdened, whichever way you want to look at it, with um, enjoying the road less travelled. And so... Our patch of dirt, aside from being beautiful, doesn't grow grass particularly well, and so it was always going to be a bit of a, a struggle to set up a, um, a cow facility here, and that idea itself is a little bit too pedestrian for the likes of us. So um, goats were considered, um, but by and large, the the pull for us came from um, endeavouring to to break new ground and um, and sheep were were considered to be that kind of lactating ruminant. So they suited the ground. They suited the way we thought. And 20-odd years ago, sheep dairying wasn't prolific. It's still not prolific. Um, it's still very much um, almost a non-existent industry. But, um, yeah, that's, that's sort of why sheep were left of centre and it suited us. At first, farming and cheese production were completely foreign to Nicole and her family. So to give you a little bit of perspective on who we are, none of us come from agriculture. We're all sort of from varying parts of the industry. I came from, um, I was working in wine. Uh, my brother has a degree in marketing and tourism and mum has thrown a hat in the ring in a multitude of facets. But um, it was a business idea. Uh, so our animal husbandry skills were... <laughs> almost non-existent. We had business acumen and ideas up the wazoo as we tend to do and um, the the very 
first part of of the equation, obviously, in making cheeses, is um, <laughs> is getting milk. So we bought a beautiful flock of East Frisian sheep from a breeder in the northwest of Tasmania and mum and her then partner set about setting up this sheep dairy from little to no knowledge. Um, And on their very first day of milking, they milked 40 sheep um, for, I think, a yield of about 10 litres that took them six hours. Uh, the idea that the sheep would just compliantly walk up to a milking platform and happily stand there to have, you know, um, themselves milked was just an absolute folly. Um, And so began the journey of becoming a farmhouse sheep dairy. So that's just one story, but there's any number. I mean, when you said about trying to create a business from almost zero knowledge in an agricultural context. It's, it's full of hilarity at any given time. In the beginning, they did everything from cellar door to animal husbandry and producing the cheese. But as Grandview grew, the average day on the farm has evolved dramatically. Originally, the average day on the farm was essentially that you, you got up at sparrows, you milked your animals, you came in, um, you had breakfast, you went out, you fed your animals, you pumped the milk, um, or in our case, gravity fed it across from the dairy into the cheese factory. You started your cheese making process. Um, because we were everything to everyone at that stage, we also had a farm gate cellar door. So we'd often down tools in the middle of making a cheese batch to go out and deal with people who wanted to buy our cheese. Um, and, of course, that's what sustained us in the end was, you know, selling direct to the public and talking to people about how crazy we were at the coalface. So we'd happily down tools, walk out in a hairnet, have a chat to people, sell them some cheese, walk back in. And by that time, of course, the milk's beyond pasteurisation. You're having to rapidly cool it down. All things are going wrong in your make. Um, and what was ordinarily a 10-hour day has turned into a 16-hour day. <laughs> so <laughs> that was 20 years ago. Um, we now employ uh, three cheesemakers um and we spend a lot of time talking about strategic direction with our ideas and not chasing shiny objects and how we're actually going to um, think more about what our customers want than what shiny objects we want to chase because we're very, very, very good at chasing shiny objects. So it's been, sorry, it's, it, it's been a big evolution in 20 years. Sheep farming for milk in Australia is one of the most challenging of dairy farms. It took time to find the right breed that not only produced award-winning milk, but thrived in Australian conditions too. You can't just roll out of bed and milk a meat and wool sheep. Um, You can if you want to, and there are certainly parts of, of Europe that milk merinos and so on and so forth. But one of our, um, our big um, hairy audacious goals is to, before we leave this earth, make a contribution to creating an industry that before we were here didn't exist. So to explain that, 
um, is sheep dairying as itself as an industry is not a thing. You, um, you really need to have proper milking animals um, for Australian domestic conditions on proper milking land to be able to carve out a reasonable income in sheep dairying in particular. So the animals themselves were probably the first crucial brick in the wall. Um, being novice farmers, we were extremely um, green when it came to understanding the nutritional animal husbandry, dietary, whatever needs of the dairy sheep that we actually bought in the beginning. Um, but what we figured out very quickly was that the breed that was available, being the East Frisian, is not um, broadly suited to Australian conditions. Um, they've been bred for hundreds of years in Northern Europe in sheds, which is not what we do here in Australia. And so any um, exposure to the elements, whether it be the sun um, or the rain and cold, they would turn up their toes and die. And there was precious little you could do to turn that around. It's really um, a very difficult task. It's just uh, the nature of the breed that they, 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 they're intolerant, <laughs> intolerant to Australian conditions, um, which is a very, very sad fact when you consider that our borders are closed to bringing in new genetics. So the notion of, of trying to establish a dairy breed in Australia um, sort of <laughs> was was pretty difficult but um we managed to figure that out reasonably quickly uh the east regions were never going to suit where we were farming um and in fact there are very few areas in australia where they will suit so with that in mind we set about um finding an arid breed of sheep that we knew was available in australia that had milking traits and cross them out and thus um have a breeding program that um, produces sheep called the Grandview Dairy Sheep, which we have registered and have verified genetics programs since about 15 years now. So that's a very, very big part of what we do as, a, as the groundwork to try to set a, a platform to build an industry. I mean, in New Zealand, they've had sheep dairying for about 15, 20 years as well, but they have global... Um, quantities and, and global expansion um, because they've partnered with the government and private enterprise, you know, they've co-funded the um, emergence of a very real uh, sheep dairy industry, but in Australia we still haven't quite grasped that. It's not easy making great cheese, but for Nicole, the revelation of landing on the right ingredients, conditions and time was life-changing. It was a camembert-style cheese. And for anyone who is remotely um, sensory out there, which is everyone unless you're dead, um, the moment you actually put your hands into a vat of freshly cut um, camembert-style cheese, um, the sensory feeling is, is incredible. It's, it's body temperature. It's like putting a hand in a vat of silken tofu. Um, the aromas of, um, of, of milk that sort of sits lightly um, cultured, 
um, at that particular temperature in a room that, you know, is about 36 degrees and about 80% humidity, so reasonably, reasonably comfortable. Um, it's, it's one of those food memories that you never, ever forget. You know, like I got into wine because I happened to, you know, wander over to France at 17, find myself working for a count and a countess, and for my 18th birthday, they sh- they served me foie gras en clout with a 76 Chateau du Cam. And I never, ever, ever forgot that experience. And that experience actually marked my progress in my occupations moving forward. And making that particular vat of cheese, I think to a large extent, stamped in me what it meant to be a cheesemaker um, and what I looked for in a vat of milk um, from an organoleptic and sensory perspective. Everything Nicole does is founded on respect for the sheep, respect for the environment, and a love of exceptional cheese. First, great milk, because you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Um, It's just not a thing. I mean, look, any cheesemaker who isn't a liar will tell you that they, um, you know, probably at least one in ten times gets a a vat of milk in the vat that they have no other commercial option to do. I mean, really all they can do is turn it into cheese and do the best they can. I had one of those events yesterday. Um, But really, essentially, you're looking for an amazing vat of milk. And and that's quite a complex thing. Um, It can't just be high protein because as cheesemakers, we're looking to bind protein through a complex matrix of of, of minerals and other components. But you're looking for a ratio of fat and protein. Um, You're looking for um, obvious freshness, which is reflected in pH and TA. And then from there, as a cheesemaker, you can still F it up. If you walk away and you're inattentive or you answer a phone or, you know, you forget to put a timer on for this or you don't take a pH measurement at this particular point in time, then you miss little windows of opportunity. You really have to um, take that raw ingredient and pay 110% attention to it for at least six hours of the make process and then you've got to not F it up in salting and maturation. So there's lots and lots and lots of little touch points and pressure points along the way where you can take the most gorgeous raw ingredient and through human failures just wreck it (laughs) or steer it in the most amazing direction. Um, So there are many, many, many critical points in cheesemaking where you can come unstuck. We make lots of different styles. Um, it's sort of part of the, the problem with chasing shiny objects. We get so wound up in being creative that we forget that we actually have to sell the product. <laughs> so you have to have a customer for your crazy ideas. But essentially, we make the ubiquitous fresh curd. Um, we kind of have to do that in so much as, as, a, as a cheesemaker in Australia, that's, that's your bread and butter particularly in the non-bovine realms. We also make a white moulded style. Again, that's one that you kind of have to do because everyone likes something white, soft and squishy. 
Um, we obviously make blue cheese. Um, we make a suite of wash rinds, which are um, – there's a soft one called Brebichon. Um, there's a semi-hard one called The Old Man. And, yes, it's called The Old Man for a reason. Um and in that suite of cheeses, we also make one called the gin herbalist. So essentially, the theory of the gin herbalist is it's just a, a fairly neutral, um, slightly acidic lactic medium that's a vehicle for flavour for the gin botanicals that comes up from the distillery. So it's a circular economy of sorts whereby the whey go down, goes downstairs to the distillery, they ferment it, distill it, create vodka. The vodka then goes back through the stills to become gin. The gin botanicals become a waste product, so that waste product comes back up to the cheese factory and we use that as a flavouring element on the outside of the cheese. So um, all of our cheeses, all our washed rinds are washed in our oaked vodka. Um, the Primavera range... Um, is a suite of Manchego-style cheeses, most of which are sold as a three-, six-, or nine-month-old Manchego. Um, and some is wine-soaked, and we tend to collaborate with local vineyards in the wine-soaking. So at the moment, we've got um, we've got some Primavera soaking in Mewstone um, Pinot, which is just down the road from us, very good friends of ours. Um, so we've really tried to rein in our range this year. We were making a lot more cheeses. It's not just about the cheese. Keen to ensure waste is reduced and the environmental impact minimal, the family looked completely left field to distilling spirits to help use up excess whey. We are absolutely obsessed with sustainability and upcycling and recycling and all of those things and have been since we started 20 years ago. So it's not a new part of the values of why we roll out of bed in the morning. But my brother Ryan, um, about six, seven years ago now, was um, increasingly frustrated by um, not feeling as though he had a creative outlet within the business and thus set about researching um, how he could possibly make a contribution. Obviously, we're in Tassie. There are lots of distillers here. And he, um, until recently, used to spend a lot of his social time with those distillers and decided that he would um, research on YouTube how to become a distiller. So he did that and he pitched this idea to mum and I that we should somehow impart with money out of cash flow to fund a passion project of his because he had the shits with the world and was feeling hard done by, to which mum and I obviously said, well, they're there. How about you go and figure out how it relates to us and um, come back with a plan and and we'll we'll talk about it again. So um, my brother, when he gets a bee in his bonnet, is a supremely determined human being, um, which is an amazing characteristic. Um, so he went and did more of his YouTube research and, and came across a couple of distilleries internationally that were taking whey products um, and utilising them in ferment for vodka and gin. 
my brother is very creative but doesn't have a scientific bone in his body. So he came back to mum and I and said, I've got it. We'll take all of our whey and we'll ferment it to create gin and vodka and that's what we'll do and it feeds directly into our values. So it's all good. Now, mum and I know that lactose doesn't ferment, so <laughs> we, we kind of um, did a bit more deep digging and said to him, well, you know, we think we can come up with a plan, but it's going to take some time. So uh, eventually we came up with that plan and it's been immensely successful. We launched Harchon Distillery, which is my brother's surname, um, Sheepway Vodka in 2014, I think it was. And the year later, it became the first vodka produced in the Southern Hemisphere to ever win the title of World's Best Vodka at the London Wine and Spirit Awards. So it's been um, a, a huge um, um, part of our business for the last sort of six or seven years, um, an unexpected real bonus um, and continues to provide us with um, a lot of value as a business and a lot of value as a family as far as, you know, reinventing a waste product and being able to talk about it and tell our story. Originally, cheese making seemed like a unique opportunity, but it's not only resulted in one of Australia's best cheeses, it's completely changed Nicole's life too. It was my saviour. <laughs> I was on a growth trajectory to um, being a professional drinker. It's it's exciting to be an Australian cheese and it's exciting to be a non-bovine cheese because we're breaking new ground. You know, we're all on this massive learning and growth trajectory together and no more so, I think, than in sheep dairying because there are so few of us doing it. So. Um, to be, if you like, on the forefront of pioneering what hopefully might one day become a proper fully-fledged industry um, and making real headway into understanding the composition of milk, the composition of animals that, you know, compose that milk and how it behaves in an Australian cheese marketplace and whatnot. It's, you know, it's it gives you purpose every day. Um, so I think that's that's the the best or most comprehensive um, answer to to how I feel about being involved in in sheep cheese making specifically, as opposed to cow or goat. One of the keys to Grandview's success has been the support of the restaurant industry and how they champion small bespoke producers. Restaurants, I think, are extraordinarily important irrespective of whether they're our customers or not um, we obviously have a lot of restaurants who are our customers um, who you know we develop extremely meaningful relationships with um, and we can share pain points and, and talk about how what we produce relates to how they interpret what we produce. And, and that's really exciting and really invigorating. Um, I think restaurants in Australia broadly make the most significant contribution to producers um, in that 
our country has the most dynamic set of food and booze consumers um, from, you know, a pretty low base 20, 30 years ago to now. Um, for a small island nation of 25 million people, we're food and booze obsessed. And I think part of that reason is because we have such exceptional produce and also exceptional interpreters of that produce, you know. So there's a symbiosis there. Without restaurants and, and, and the calibre of restaurants that we actually have on this continent, um, we don't have... Um, the level of interest uh, for our product, um, either at retail level, you know, farm gate level or via wholesale channels. So without restaurants, you know, the, the risk of producers um, such as us is, is that, you know, you'll see less and less of us. Timing, as they say, is everything. For Nicole and the success of Grandview, there was one turning point that helped them move forward and confirm the belief in what they do. Well, I think the highlight was winning champion cheese at the Royal Sydney Show for our Sapphire Blue in 2012. Um, we were in a pretty dark place. We had just um, exited a business partner in a fairly acrimonious fashion. Um, the business wasn't going well. Um, personally, I think all three of us were in a pretty dark place. Uh, and it was at that moment that we received notification that um, uh, we had actually won champion cheese at the Royal Sydney Show. We couldn't pay our bills. I mean, this is not an unusual story for a lot of producers or people in business generally know that you always go through these ups and downs. So, you know, you can cry yourself a river, but this is part of the journey. Um, and it's so easy for me to say that looking in the rearview mirror. But at the time, we were in a world of pain and um, didn't know whether we should wind up or, you know, um, dig deeper. And winning that particular award for our sapphire blue cheese really just gave us the impetus to carry on, um, gave us obviously some profile and injection of cash via sales, which was, you know, much, much, much needed. And um, really it was just that just that little turning point that, that shifted us around that corner. And we could have gone out the back door, um, not a word of a lie. Food production has changed as the world's population has grown. But for Nicole, it's the small producers that connect us all and remind us how important quality produce is. Because we're tangible and we're real, um, I had a, a conversation recently with um, someone in the industry about an event that was being run um, and one of the... Well, the, the, the event itself is a wine event and it's pitched around small players in the market. Um, but one of the sponsoring bodies sought to invite a big dairy producer um, who, you know, wanted to be there for their own commercial reasons. And, um, you know, those guys have plenty of opportunity to drive their own messaging. 
they don't need to come in and hijack small people's events to sell their wares. But um, I think small producers give people some real perspective on how difficult it is to do what we do um, and therefore, you know, how difficult it should be to not throw things away and be wasteful and all of those things that supermarkets have taught us to do in a very quick space of time. Without tangibility or access to small production, um, farm gates, those kinds of things, farmers markets, great restaurants that focus on, you know, small producers' produce, I think society <clears throat> will lose touch with one of the fundamental elements of what fuels us in a really meaningful way. Um, and that is, you know, contact with humans, contact with animals and, and the real understanding of the relationships and the symbiosis of, of how we interrelate. Food does that a lot. And if you take small producers out of the equation, then the supermarkets win and the big boys win. So for me, you know, one of the things I really love is being able to have access to the end consumer so that I can talk to them, establish a relationship, develop an emotion behind the emotion that I feel when I produce the things that I produce for them to consume, if that makes sense. Without that, without small producers, without that tangibility, we're left with the intangible, two-dimensional, cryovact, you know, club tutor in a square. That's soulless. It's not how we're designed. We're highly emotional, sensory beings, and small producers and restaurants by extension and farmer's markets are a really important vehicle for that. It's connectivity. If you don't have that, then you've got supermarkets and, and you've got big business and... That's soulless. Belief in what you do can have an amazing impact on the way you live your life. The connections Nicole has fostered, both with her family and those that have experienced the fruits of their labour, drives her to push the boundaries even further. Having come every day. from a corporate wine environment, um, working for someone else, which I loved, I absolutely adored that job. Um, I work with my family on the farm every day and the lumps and the bumps and the highs and the lows and the twirly roundabouts and all of that um, are so much better when you get to do it with your family making a real agricultural product that has a real resonance with customers and you can See, touch, taste and smell it at every single touch point. Not many people get to do that, you know. A lot of people, you know, envy what we do. Um, and obviously you don't want to bore them with the semantics of how hard things are and how difficult it is and how long the hours are. Um, but, you know, a lot of people are nine to five jobs or heaven forbid some are jobless I get to roll out of bed spend an hour with my kids in the morning come up to work 
you know, riff away on ideas and shit with my family, stick my hand in about a milk, pat a sheep, talk to some people about what we do, and meanwhile they're, you know, by and large most of them are complimentary, so I get my ego stroked at the same time. Then I come back downstairs and bash away on the computer for a bit, go home, see my kids and have a shower. It's, it's, it's pretty nice. That respect for the sheep, for the land, and for the cheese-making process has not only created a better life for Nicole Gilliver and her family, but created one of the world's truly unique products. This is The Producers, a Deep in the Weeds production. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of producers, farmers, makers and growers, the true lifeblood of the food industry. Follow us on Instagram at Producers Podcast or email us at producerspodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au.